Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, the show covering all things health, wellness, culture, and more. The show for all of us who aren't old, we're better. Each week, we'll interview superstars, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all related to this wonderful experience of getting better, not older. Now, here's your host, the award-winning Paul Vogelzang. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and I want to welcome you to today's episode where we venture into the heart of modern espionage with an exclusive interview with returning guest Mark Rainey that promises to be as thrilling as the stories we are about to discuss. We are diving into the shadowy realms of artificial intelligence, international intrigue, autonomous robot fighters, and the relentless pursuit of justice with none other than Mark Graney, the mastermind behind the New York Times number one best-selling series, The Gray Man. In the latest electrifying installment of Mark Graney's book series on The Gray Man, titled The Chaos Agent, we find our indomitable hero, court gentry entangled in a web of danger that stretches across continents. From the neon-lit streets of Japan to the historic alleys of Boston, a sinister plot unfolds targeting the world's foremost experts in robotics, artificial intelligence, and autonomous warfare. The stakes, nothing less than the future of warfare itself as the race to harness AI as a weapon threatens to redefine the battlefield. Mark Rainey's work is not just a foray into the worlds of spies and shadow operations, although it is a wonderful, thrilling story. But Mark Rainey's work is a deep dive into the ethical mazes and technological quandaries that define our times. Again, this is a fantastic story. You'll be entertained, but you'll also learn because Mark Rainey's meticulous research, combined with this vivid storytelling, invite us to ponder the implications of AI and its weaponization, not as a distance science fiction, but as a palpable force shaping the geopolitical landscape that court gentry aims to fight. Today, we will peel back the layers of Mark Graney's creation, Court Gentry, and explore court's high moral standards. A character in Court Gentry who navigates the murky waters of espionage with the unwavering integrity, and a touch of wry humor. We'll discuss the genesis of The Chaos Agent, the real-world inspirations behind its gripping plot, and how Mark Rainey keeps readers on the edge of their seats while making them think deeply about the world around them. So, dear listeners, prepare for a journey into the heart of darkness and light, where the lines between right and wrong blur, and where the only certainty is the Relentless Pursuit of Truth. This is an episode you won't want to miss as we explore the thrilling, thought-provoking world of Mark Graney's The Gray Man in his new book, The Chaos Agent. Well, Mark Graney, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me back, Paul. I always enjoy talking with you. I went back, we've talked six previous times. This is actually our seventh conversation about your books. I'm such a huge fan. And um, 
We're talking on President's Day. Um, your newest book, uh, The Chaos Agent, subject of our interview today, comes out this month. Febu- I think it's February 20th. So I think we're actually just right in line tomorrow. The book is released. And yeah. congratulations. I hope you're well. Hope family's well. And my gosh, I just want to jump right in and talk about The Chaos Agent. Oh, you. great. Yeah, no, we're all doing great. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Well, um, as I say, I'm I'm a fan. I really enjoyed this book, and um, I really, in particular, enjoyed how you how you have have woven in the subject of artificial intelligence because that's something that I think is is on so many of our minds. We're we're thinking about this. We're we're living it in in so many ways, and I wonder how you decided to kind of balance this. Um, because the the story is very accessible, but it could have drifted a lot of different directions, not under your hand, but uh, but it could have made its way in a, in a lot of different places, and it might have even been confusing at times or alarming. It wasn't. The book is fantastic. What did you do to make sure that that balance, that line was maintained for you? Well, it was a topic that I was interested in but knew very little about, artificial intelligence and robotics and you know the melding of the two of them. I sort of got the idea just watching people like Elon Musk and other mega billionaires who had these commercial artificial intelligence labs and are developing this cutting edge um, technology and capability. So, you know, I, I am not uh, a scientist. <laughs> I, I'm not a computer programmer. So I wasn't really worried that I was going to put in too much detail I mean, I definitely did a lot of research to get the knowledge up where it needed to be to write about it. But, you know, I I wrote several books with Tom Clancy and then some uh, Jack Ryan books after Tom died. And, you know, in the olden days, they called those techno thrillers. And they're not really techno thrillers anymore because we're not, you know, when we write these books, we're not going five pages in on how a, you know, a bomb detonates or whatever. I think... Uh, readers want something different now. I think that worked really well in the 80s and 90s, but now I think people want a slightly faster-paced story, and and that lends itself to, you know, the fact that I am not a genius in these things. So I'm just learning what I can, and and putting it in there. I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing I kept out of the book because I thought it was too. Uh, too arcane. I didn't go into you know what deep neural networks are and you know some of the the nuances of machine learning that I did I did learn while I was doing the research. But, you know, I just I wanted to keep it a fast paced spy novel, but it does have technology at its core, not a science fiction, but it, it has, uh, you know, emerging technology at its core. Again, congratulations, it, it, because the book does move along uh, at, at just this great pace. I really enjoyed it and just devoured it. At one point you write, AI will be smart enough to be able to hire, threaten, trick, coerce, manipulate, empower, disempower. It'll be smart enough to control humanity. Humans will be the weak link. Amazing stuff. I, I, you just talked a little bit about your research. It is The depth, though, is really um, impressive. And I wonder if you confirmed that. Are we really just going to succumb to to all of this as, as humans? Because it can be a little disconcerting, but it makes for a powerful story here. I, I thought about my artificial intelligent agent at the, at the center of this book, who is one of the villains um, in the book. I, I thought about, let, let's say you have one of these big, large language models like ChatGPT or whatever, but mm-hmm. but more advanced than that, 
probably somewhere in the neighborhood of where we actually are because chat GPT 3.5 or whatever is online is, is a few, uh, you know, a few cycles behind of, of where the technology is. But I thought about having something like that and giving it a mission and then get also giving it access to offshore bank accounts and, you know, dark websites where you could hire assassins. And it, basically this artificial intelligence agent in the book becomes its own sort of intelligence uh, organization, like a CIA or a KGB or something like that. It's, its objective is to socially engineer people to do its bidding because it is it is only a brain. It physically can't do things. Now, obviously, it in in the book it works with uh, robotics to a large degree, but there's a lot of things that um, you know robots can't do. So I had this idea that if you had this really advanced, um, and when I say really advanced, like, again, I think it's probably tech, you know capabilities that exist that they're just not publicly readable, uh, you know, available right now, but you know, it's something that could, it could do a lot of damage. And if, if it was, if if its mission was to, let's say, keep itself alive, it would, it would go after the people that, you know, were trying to, you know, dismantle it, for example. So, you know, I just had this, I kind of had this big lofty idea that I got bigger and loftier, the, the deeper I got into the capabilities you know, that, that this technology possesses. So it was, you know, it, it was scary for me to write as well. Yeah, it it, it almost, it, it, it can be overwhelming. And it certainly was overwhelming for our hist- our hero, Court Gentry, who um, is known for his physical ability. But he has to adapt quickly. He has to face these enemies that are put in place and in front of him by AI. And so it, it just seemed like, he really had to grapple with this um, with this force, and he began to understand it too. And so you really, you just again, you really give him a villain that we haven't seen before because it's this combination of a brain with a very powerful robotic force that comes at him from all directions, and he's really um, he's at his wit's end and trying to trying to get a handle on it. Yeah, I, so I wanted to not change court for this book. I didn't mm-hmm. want him to be this technical whiz kid mastermind that's able to solve everything and and deal with everything in a different way than he normally does. So you'll see in the bo- book, he sees the first time he sees one of these uh, AI powered robots coming at him. He's like, well, they're not bulletproof. And he shoots it. And then he turns around. He's like, actually, this one might be bulletproof. Um, he's not, you know, he doesn't know anything more about this than than the average person. So there's other characters in the book. It takes the village. There's other characters in, in the book that sort of uh, do some of the, like working out some of the mystery. And Court is very much involved and, and very, you know, he, he's a key component of you know, fighting this foe, but he has the same tools in his toolbox that he has in every other book when he's, you know, going up against the Russian mob or the Mexican cartels. He doesn't have um, any new skills that are going to help him specifically with robotics and AI. And that's the way I wanted to write it. I wanted, um, you know, not that he's a Luddite, but, you know, sort (laughs) of a, a guy that doesn't really use technology as much and he's thrown into this and he has to kind of figure out his ways to adapt and overcome and get help 
Yeah, Court returns in a big way, and and so does his very dry sense of humor, which I, you know, as I say, we we've talked enough. I I know you have such a nice sense of humor too. How do you balance that though in your writing to make sure to keep it tense but still inject that that humor? So that it enhances and doesn't detract from just the overall gravity of the situation because it's tense. Well, the short answer for that is my editor, Tom Colgan, um, saves me from myself multiple <laughs> times each book because there will be times where I, I will put a line in there just because I think it's really funny and it's really, um, uh, you know, like it, it'll engage the readers and then he'll come back. He actually doesn't have to correct me that much anymore because I can hear his voice when I when I think of something clever in there. And so it's I, it, I sort of am, am following his lead even even without him having to say anything. But, yeah, I, I think I, I the first few times in earlier Gray Man books where I'd, I'd write a few, you know, semi funny things and kind of get away with it. And then I up the ante with a line or a, a scenario and um, a, more than once. Tom, my editor, has come back and said, this looks like, uh, you know, a line out of an 80s Schwarzenegger novel. And as soon as he says that, I'm like, OK, I understand exactly what you mean. <laughs> sure I went man. too far, you know, <laughs> you know, stabbing a guy against the wall and saying stick around or something <laughs> that like, <laughs> like, I love that. Stuff, yeah, yeah, I love that. To, you have to use it really sparingly. Sure. And so I've always wanted my books to have lightness and darkness, because when I have like done I'm not former military or special forces or SWAT or anything like that. But when I've trained with these people, there's an amazing gallows humor that -hmm. they have that is like really like I wouldn't have believed it. I would have thought, you know, being around these guys in the bunkhouse and, you know, out on on the range, I would have thought that it was made up like something out of TV, the way that they can uh, joke about things that you and I might not joke about Mm -hmm. and stuff. So so I believe that it's real. Um the the important thing is you have the right character saying it. Sometimes I will set up, you know, like my arch villain for a for a quip, and then I'll go like, oh, that just doesn't really work for this or this part of the story. So it's a it's a dance. I I would put more in. I would put too much in if not for Tom. So I I, th- <laughs> I think I think I'm lucky to have him. I I love it too. I I really enjoy it. I also enjoy Zoya who returns and uh, there's a really special relationship between Zoya and Court. And so talk to us a little bit about this this partnership, this relationship because she really makes some contributions to the story, to the team and um there's trust there between them. They there's a couple of secrets that you know kind of are are there right at the very start, but they're survivors. Let's let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they really they they end up uh prevailing. But uh talk a little bit about Zoya again cuz she's she's a favorite of mine. Yeah, so all in all with all the characters, the psychology of these characters is like really really in- interesting to me. Um the action scene feel like they write themselves that's always sort of been something that's been a little bit easier for me and the tougher stuff is like really getting in the heads of these characters and and laboring to you know like uh, you know I, I think of myself as an actor sometimes and, and go like you know what 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 would this character be thinking how would they respond to this and so when I put Zoya in the series she starts out as an antagonist or you know she starts out at odds with court in an earlier book and and they've developed this uh, relationship and I've written Court in a way that I'm trying to be um, honest to the to his backstory. In other words, he 
he doesn't have a lot of training. He's, he's not socially uh, an adept person. Um, he's very, very paranoid for 150 good reasons that, that I've created over the years. So instead of just, you know, having him just be this double may care, uh, you know, playboy guy, he's he's a lot he's wired a lot tighter than that. So with Zoya, he's let his guard down and they have this relationship and they have this mutual trust. And the book opens up, like you said, um, the book opens up with them together and sort of living off grid. And they both say this is the best time of their life. But court sort of senses something's coming. And then he finds out that Zoya is not being honest with him about something. And it might just be a little thing, but I, again, it's the psychology of the situation. I was just thinking like, if you had let your walls down, you you were in all this danger and you let your walls down for one person. And then something they said didn't, you know, didn't coincide with what you knew to be true. How quickly would you build those walls back up and how, you know, defensive would you get about it? And so that, that's what I was trying to do there with the character. Zoya is, is as interesting a character to me as Court is. And in different books, she's had, you know, larger roles and smaller roles. She has a, she has a, a large role in this one. This might be the only book where Court and Zoya are shoulder to shoulder through just about the entire book. Usually they're on two different missions and they might thread together at some point. But this one, I really wanted to show them as a couple trying to deal with this together. And um, that was fun. It was different. I like it when my books are different from the last. Our guest, of course, is author Mark Graney. Get ready, audience, because February 20th, 2024, The Gray Band returns, and uh, the name of Mark's new book is The Chaos Agent, another must-read thriller um, from New York Times best-selling author Mark Graney. Mark, thank you so much for for coming back. Thanks for this new book. My audience's favorite 61-year-old makes a big appearance kind of midway. I'm talking about Matt Hanley. I enjoy Matt's role. He, He also has a very unique, special sense of humor and a real, uh, real interesting understanding of court. At one point, court says they have this great exchange and court says, why would I be here to kill you? And Matt replies, I don't know. Killers appear in people's darkened houses on rainy nights. Normal people ring the effing doorbell. Court says, I'm not entirely normal. <laughs> so what is it? What is what does Matt know? And and uh, what is it about court that it's not exactly normal? Because that that's, it's also this really interesting nuance that you've developed with court. Yeah. I- you know, if you're going to write a story and, and your hero kills people for a living, um, you know, you can do it one or two ways. It can be sort of a two-dimensional kind of square-jawed tough guy, or it can be a character with who also has a lot of vulnerabilities. Because it seems to me, I'm, I'm only guessing, but if, if I were an assassin, um, my my brain would be a little bit scrambled as far as right and wrong and morality. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a character where you know at the at the center of him is his moral code, and he's not a bad guy. But you know I I again it goes back to the psychology and thinking about you know you created these characters, you created these improbable situations. So it's you know it's my job to um, investigate them as honestly as possible. And and so Matt, who has been who's known court for 15 or 20 years uh, knows that he is, you know, some, something of an oddball because of the, the fact that he kind of, he was plucked out of 
prison by the CIA when he was a teenager and trained up in a, to be a singleton asset. So he's basically off on his own with without a net and really without much supervision. And then he was put in a um, in a rendition squad that was like very, you know, that the, they called the goon squad that was very, very um, involved in stuff in the war on terror. So he's had all this, you know, and then finally he becomes a a, a killer for a hire. So all these things make him who he is. And Matt has court's number like they're they're friends. Um, but Matt is definitely a guy who would use court as a tool. And um, and, and court knows this. But I think their relationship is is fun to um, to see develop uh, throughout the books. I have this big thing where I don't want to necessarily put all my known characters into every book. Mm. And that comes from working on the Tom Clancy novels. You had a big, you know, beloved, big group of beloved characters. And I'm a Clancy fan, too. So I love them, too. But when you're writing it, you're like, OK, I need a role for Dominic. I need a role for Kathy Ryan. Mm. You know, I, and and so I when I did the the Gray Man books and I started to get these other characters that would show up and survive or become his sort of sidekicks or friends, um, I decided, OK, I'm not going to be locked into having, you know, the whole the whole gang get back together for each book. So Matt's not in every book, but when he's in, um, it's a lot of fun for me to write. Yeah, fun for me to read, too. And again, I, I know our audience just always enjoys Matt and his uh, his, his special relationship with, with Court on, on many psychological levels. I love your books for so many reasons. I, one of the things that I always get from these books is I'm entertained, but I learn. And so I just really want to congratulate you on the meticulous research, the authenticity. I know you well enough now, you know, after after interviewing you several times, that that you go to these locations. And I wonder in this instance, with respect to AI researching it, were you going to visit some of these robotic plants did you actually get to interact with some of this because again the research the telling of the story is so realistic thank you um i tried and was pretty much shut out of, mm. of going to uh research labs mm. so i did all the research um i read about five books and one of the books i read like three times and then i listened to i think i estimate about 300 hours worth of podcasts about robotics artificial intelligence military ethics and um, gosh, uh, I read a lot of think tank papers, a lot of news articles and several like really boring government publications that had some kind of kernel of interesting information in there. And I just built it up from there um, as far as the robotics. And there's there's several different types of um, lethal autonomous weapons, which uh, an LAW is just anything that on its own without human input can search for, um, discriminate against, identify and engage uh, and kill a target. Um, the, the robots that are in the book are all existing real robots, even if they're just prototypes or even uh, if they're doing something in the book that maybe they haven't done before, they do exist. So there are these um, uh uh, quadruped, you know, four-legged robot dogs with 6.5 Creedmoor rifles on their backs. That that exists. And there are drones that can ferry these robot dogs, fly them around and drop them off like a payload. And there are these um, bipedal, uh, 
you know, robots that look like you or me that Boston Dynamics makes, and they have shown them with guns before, and and they they are really really scary. So all this stuff is real, um, and it took a it took a lot of research, and you know, just sort of imagining the worst case scenario of all this stuff. So it was it was actually a, a fun book to research because I knew so little about this, but it was all very fascinating. Yeah, fascinating to me too. The other aspect of this, and, and in particular a, a quote I, I just really enjoyed um, from the book, you, you say the Chinese have stolen so much artificial general superintelligence machines that think like humans. The machines teach themselves. They write their own code because there is no will in the West to go all in on autonomous weapons. And you, you, you make this you write this quote and then you make this uh, in close reference to this idea that AI could be the biggest game changer in warfare since gunpowder. And did that come up in some of the material that you researched? Because that that's pretty darn powerful. You know, that's pretty disconcerting there. Yeah, absolutely. And it did. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 they say that war is the ultimate accelerant of innovation mm. and of, of all the things that are pushing AI forward. And there's a lot of commercial and there's a, there's a lot of good things and a lot of bene, beneficial things. Um, I, I always want to say that when I did my research, I went looking for the dark side. So <laughs> people are like, so how do you feel about AI? I'm like, you're asking the wrong guy. Because <laughs> if it was beneficial to society, I, I was not interested in it. You know, I was only looking at this. But artificial intelligence agents have invented novel talk toxins for chemical weapons on their own. They're, they're able to teach themselves, rewrite their own code. They can rewrite um, lines of code that limit it, limit them in some way. Um, so there is this fear of it growing and growing into a singularity moment where, you know, the self-improvement cycles are going faster and faster and it's pulling itself up by its bootstraps because, it can create its own knowledge and synthesize its own um, data, which means just basically wargaming against itself to teach itself new things. And all this is very scary and ominous. And you you, you mentioned China. Like uh, President Xi has said that science and technology are the main battleground against the West in the future. So they're taking this very, very seriously. And the United States, and this goes back to the ethics, the United mm -hmm. States – uh, military has always said we will have human machine teams. So a human will always be making the decision uh, whether or not to kill. And the Chinese probably aren't going to be doing that. They're working really hard to develop lethal autonomous weapons and AI capabilities. And the problem is once they have something that does not require a human, the human is the weak link and the, and the slow part of the whole thing. There's a thing called neuromuscular de delay. So the fastest human in the world still takes more reaction time than, than a computer. And we've seen uh, uh, simulators, artificial intelligence flying in simulators against real US F-16 pilots and completely destroying the human beings because the AI is, can do thousands of calculations a second. It does not care about coming back home to its wife and children. It doesn't care about G-forces or, you know, it's, it's all the capabilities of the aircraft and, and not, you know, a, a body that it has to worry about. So everything in the book, um, you know, and, and again, going back to ethics, I'll just wrap with that we have, you know, the, the U.S. is trying to apply ethics to this and mm -hmm. say, well, we need to keep humans involved. 
But once we're up against an adversary that doesn't, um, it might be too late for us to retool that. And I think the ethics will go out the window the second, you know, we have lethal autonomous weapons making thousands of decisions a, a second going up against uh, American human beings. Mark Rainey, just such a fascinating book. Of course, the author of the new book, The Chaos Agent. Just one final question for you again. I, I know you're super busy, and I always just I, I could talk to you for a long, long time, Mark. But I know yeah. that we, we've got you for just a little bit of time. So, final question: I wonder, are there any misconceptions about AI that you wanted to address in the book and through your storytelling? You know, the, in the Chaos Agent, that we need to know about so that we can so that we can be thinking about AI and, and understand it well enough in terms of our adversaries in the world? Well, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I keep kind of bouncing back to the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and so I've been on doing a press tour for a little bit, and I get a lot of people saying, well, they're not, they're not worried about artificial intelligence because they went on chat GPT 3.5 and asked mm-hmm. it to write a story for them or a paper and it screwed some stuff up. So they're like, you know, how, how is this a threat to me? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I want to agree with them. I wish it was true. But, you know, I, I point out to them that this technology is in its absolute infancy. And it's only going to grow. And as it is now, it may, it may have screwed up your paper. But it, it is able to generate human-level performance on the SRT. I mean, sorry, the SAT and the GRE. And, and the bar exam. So it is very, very capable as it is now. And computing power um, that is focused on building this most advanced artificial intelligence has grown 10 billion percent since 2010. And the, uh, the power, computing power doubles like every six to nine months. And the amount of data um, used by artificial intelligence doubles every two years. So, you know, where are we going to be in two years? Where are we going to be in five years? I think it's all very, very important. And, any, and so the misconception is that a lot of people have is like, oh, this is kind of novel and this is fun. And, it, you know, it might screw up our election because, uh, you know, misinformation and disinformation can be like blown up with artificial intelligence. But I think the problems are, are, are bigger than that or the challenges ahead are bigger than that. And I, and I hope people take that, that away from this book. Thanks for all your hard work on this book, and uh, I know my audience is just going to love it. Of course, the title of the book is The Chaos Agent. Mark Grady's been our guest. Again, the storyline is fantastic. Court's there. Zoya's there. Of course, our friend Matt Hadley is there. But it's just this thrilling book in, in all ways. And then you have this really wonderful exploration of AI and ethics. So, Mark Grady, thank you for talking to us and for doing all of this wonderful work and for just another bestseller. So, congrats and my best to you. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you for having me. My thanks to New York Times number one best-selling author Mark Rainey and his new book, The Chaos Agent, available today. The Chaos Agent, Mark Rainey, and his wonderful way of unveiling the future of espionage and AI is fantastic. I just encourage all of you to read this fantastic book, The Chaos Agent. My thanks to you, our wonderful audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe. And let's talk about better. 
the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Thanks for joining us this week on the Not Old Better Show. To find out more about all of today's stories or to view our extensive back catalog of previous shows, simply visit notold-better.com. Join us again next time as we deep dive into some of the most fascinating real-life stories from across the world, all focused on this wonderful experience of getting better, not just older. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show.